Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, and we are back with Ayers on the Road. These weeks roll around in a hurry. And here it is a day or two before Christmas. We're so glad to have a chance to talk about a kind of a Christmas message, maybe a little different than what is traditional. It ties in with this kind of new thing we're into, this sort of mini-series on Ayers on the Road that we're calling Three-Letter Lessons. We've got a a couple of dozen three-letter words, which we believe capsulize a whole paradigm of thinking. (coughs) Excuse me. And the one we started with was the I lesson. Some of you have listened to in the last uh, couple of weeks on using our eyes in a new way to promote more empathy and, and teaching our children to really look people in the eye and really see the spiritual side of people. And today, Linda, we're going to call this, and I think it's the perfect one for Christmas, we're going to call it the key lesson, K-E-Y. What is the key? What is the great key to life? What is the key to living the life that, that God wants us to? What is the key to our own salvation and exaltation? And and what is the key to finding the real joy and the real happiness that's here? And obviously, all those questions tie in with Christ. And as we get ready in the next day or two, and right now and on through the week ahead to celebrate the the birth of Christ, we want to expand the thought in some new directions using the word key, K-E-Y, the key lesson. What does that make you think before we even say any more? I mean, what, what's word association? What's the key to life? What's the key to happiness? Well, when I think of the word key, I think of how many keys I've lost. <laughs> and well, I, I really am a question I desperate. never know. I'm desperate to have that key to open a door or a closet or a, a something, a box or something. And it's like, oh, where is the key? Where is the key? What have I done with it? But the now key? our phones are our keys. Our phones will open most everything. And that doesn't help at all because you lose your phone quite often. <laughs> it really is amazing how often you need a key to open something that you really need. And whether it's a a metal piece of a thing that fits into a hole or whether it's a phone or um, a thought. What is the key to the solution to this problem? I really, I like the word key because it does open so many things if you can find it. And we're going to make a kind of a bold claim today or a bold suggestion to you that the key to almost everything, I'm, I'm really getting expansive or I'm overstating this, but I'm doing it on purpose. And you always the, key, the key to everything <laughs> is Christ. The key, now think about that and, and maybe resist that thought a little if you want, and then we'll, we'll tell you what we mean. But the key to everything is Jesus Christ. And what we're celebrating on Christmas is, of course, the beauty and the mystery and the 
majesty of the birth of the baby Savior Christ and the condescension of the God and creator of us all coming as a baby, a helpless baby, to, to perhaps arguably the most plain and poverty-stricken and turmoil-ridden and in a way barren part of the whole earth and in the most humble possible circumstances in a stable. And, and as we celebrate that, we, we want to add another dimension, at least to our celebration this year and hopefully to yours too. And that is thinking of Christ after thinking of him as a baby and, and, and eventually as our Savior and our Lord and so on, to think of him as the key to everything else to everything else. And in order to get into that, we want to just share a little list with you, a list of 20 things, 20 different aspects, 20 different facets, 20 different roles. Maybe that's the way to think of it, Linda, roles. If, if, if this earth is a drama, if, if this is a three-act play, we often like to think of that as a three-act play, the, the pre-mortal life being the first act of the play, mortality being the second act of the play, and life after death, the spirit world and, and heaven in, in, in all of its forms being the third act. Um, if we think of it in that way, then um, what is... What are the roles that, that Christ played? Um, there, this is quite a list, and we you compiled this several years ago, but it really is pretty amazing to think that there are so many different things that he, so many different roles that he played that are key to what we want in our life or what we need. When you, when you go to a play, you, you may say, oh, here's all the characters in the play. This is the key character or the lead character. Imagine in this drama, this three-act drama, that there are 20 lead roles, 20 key roles in the play. And think as we go through how remarkable and how stunning it is that one person, one being, played all 20 of those key roles, not 20 different players or actors, not five different ones, one. Let's read through these. Yeah, they're pretty time. amazing. You go. Number one, a great intelligence prior to the creation of this world. Role number two, the firstborn spirit son of our heavenly parents. Three, a great and loyal leader in the spirit world. And those of you who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints know exactly what that means. And we don't have time to explain that to others, but that is what we believe is a key, uh, a key to his personality. Right, exactly. Uh, role number four, the leading advocate of the plan of agency and redemption for this mortal existence. And the one who insisted that all credit and glory for that plan be given to the Father. That's interesting. Think, and and as, yeah. we, as we go through these, some will mean more to you than others, but try to, try to focus in on, on that particular time or that particular moment or that particular part of the drama 
and try to envision Christ as the lead, the key to that. And as you do, I think that'll that'll continue to um, expand your view. So we're up now to number five. Um, the accepted volunteer for the supremely difficult and self-sacrificing implementation of the plan of agency and redemption. So in other words, it's one thing to present that plan and advocate it, but Role number five, to volunteer to actually do it, to actually be the one to perform it. Number six, the creator of this world, the creator, Jehovah, the creator of this world. It's pretty amazing that we, we know these things because of modern day revelation. And think of this plan or this, this unfolding going on. And, and, we're, and we're up to roll number six, and, and, and think of the power already, the, the, great, the greatest of all intelligences prior to this world, the firstborn son of our heavenly parents, the great and loyal leader in the spirit world, the leading advocate of the plan, the accepted volunteer to implement the plan, and then the creator of this world, those incredible roles, and, and we're only to number six. And going on to number seven, the light of the world. And there's so much to do with that. We have a grandson who's an expert on light because <laughs> yeah. he's a scientific mind. And he, this <laughs> summer in our family meetings, he came up with the most incredible thing about light. Um, the light of this world is more than just a little light bulb. It is pretty incredible. Um, that everything we see, everything we have, every, the light in trees and leaves and in eyes and everywhere comes from this source of, of light. And that Savior. ties a little back into the, the lesson of the eye that we talked about last week. Yeah. That, that he, he's the light that lights our eyes, that lights our sight, that lights. And in fact, a beautiful statement is that I believe in Christ because it is his light by which I can see and believe everything else. Yeah. Or words to that effect. Yes, yes, so that's number seven. And then number eight, Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament. You We're know, a little unique in our belief in that, but I've met many people from other faiths too who, who have come to believe that the Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, is, is Christ. And I didn't get that. For a long time, as a teenager, I remember thinking, because I'd read not the whole Old Testament, but I'd read a lot in the Old Testament. And in a way, that did not jive with me just because, well, that could be another whole discussion. Well, but, you've always thought of the Father, God the Father. Right. And uh, in, in, in a way, he directed the creation, we believe, but Christ was the creator yeah, of this earth. It's absolutely amazing. So, um, so anyway. now we're up to rule number nine. We're, all, we're not even halfway through the list, but we're now coming to Christmas. And number nine is the key the, to that. And, and we say the only begotten son of the father in the flesh. And that for sure, we believe and I think all Christendom does. There was a virgin birth, and the father was God the Father, and the only begotten son. Role number 10, 
the only perfect being to ever live. Now, in other words, that's the role of example, of exemplar, of the total, complete example of everything. Uh, People love to have heroes. They love to have mentors. They love to have idols that they look up to, ideals and so on. But to think of, of the difference between whoever else you might admire and the Savior himself is the difference between imperfection and perfection, the only perfect example, the only perfect being to ever live. What a role that is to play in in this eternal Doesn't that blow your mind, way. though? That blows my mind to think about as a little child, he never did anything wrong. He was never well, naughty, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think. Well, I think he was normal in a lot of ways. And he grew. We know he grew from grace to grace. And we knew that we know that he, he gradually occurred and he, he understood more and more progressively who he was in a very natural way. But what blows my mind about number 10 is, you know, we say, oh, he was perfect. And we think, oh, that means he never committed a sin, right? But think of it on the on the broader scale. I mean, that's a sin of commission. I, the, you can divide all sin into two right, categories. True, yeah. Commission, sins you commit, or sins of omission, good things that you failed to do. And those are obviously more, I mean, there's there's a hundred everyday things we sh- could have done if we'd seen them or if we'd been wiser or if we'd noticed them or if we'd been smarter or better. And and the perfection of Christ, he not only never committed a sin, he never omitted a good that could be done. And that's just impossible for us to conceive. Yeah, it is. Um, someday we'll figure that out. So that's um, number 10. We're halfway through the list. And number 11, the head of the original church of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that he began that before he left. Uh, he had his apostles. He had things in place. And then so much happened <laughs> between then yeah. uh, and now. But it, he was the originator of the, the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. And again, if you're thinking of this as we're trying to today as a three-act drama uh, and it is dramatic <laughs> in so many ways on so many levels. Um, we've now had 11 key roles, K-E-Y. This is the key lesson, the key roles, and, and Christ has played all 11 of them. Why don't we take a quick break and then come back and finish the list and then talk about this lesson of the key in a bigger sense and apply it in our own lives directly to Christ. So So. if you think that we've done, we've accomplished everything you can think of, uh, there was a lot of thought that went into this from Richard's head a lot of years ago. And stick with us because there's some more. The most exciting exciting part of the play is yes to 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 come. We'll be right back after this brief break. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back. Um, we, we are going through this list of 20 key roles that the Savior played in the history of the, the earth. And so we're up to number 12. 12. Number, role number 12, the teacher of the full gospel or the good news 
so wonderful to think of Christ as a teacher, the greatest teacher the world's ever known. Well, there was so much that the world didn't know, because at that time, the time he came to the earth, it was an eye for an eye. Somebody right. hurt you, hurt him back. He changed the entire paradigm of everybody, uh, what, what everybody believed on the earth at that time. Number 13. The Savior and Redeemer of the world who willingly gave his life for all of us. Now, we could focus entirely on that, but in this paradigm, that's one of these 20 incredible roles. Number 14, the first fruits of a glorious resurrection which because of him will apply to all of us. And number 15, the direct resurrected teacher of the gospel of his other sheep to other parts of this world, in the spirit world, to the lost ten tribes. And to the people of the Americas. Number 16, the mediator with the father, our key to God the father, the mediator, the the ransom for our sins and the mediator with the father and 17, the revelator and restorer of the fullness of his gospel, restoring it to the earth again. Number 18, the Lord who will come again and reign on this earth during the millennium. And number 19, our judge. And thank goodness he will be our judge. He who has descended beneath all things and who understands every aspect of us even better than ourselves. And that there's so much to that. I mean, we're also partly our own judge, but we won't go into that right now. And then number 20, our father, if we accept him and live his commandments, he becomes in effect our father. And I just want to read you this little thing. Sometimes little children whom Christ told us to be like, can say simply what we try to say complexly. As when we asked our four-year-old daughter, who is Jesus? This happened in England, and I remembered as though it were yesterday. Who is Jesus? And this is our oldest daughter, who was four years old at the time, Saren. And she answered very simply, our brother. And so I went the next step. I said, well, why did, why did he come to the earth? And this little four-year-old said, to show us how to love each other. And I said, any other reasons? And she said, to show, it how it's, to show us how it's going to work when we die. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. And I'm just blown away. And I, so I asked one final question. Well, what is he doing now? And Saren said, he's taking care of us from way up there. <laughs> That's just beautiful how children can see that he is the, the Christ. You know, I think I, I need to have to confess something here because as a teenager, I was not really sure about this, about Jesus Christ and how the whole picture fit together. I had been to every church meeting that I should have been. I was working with young I mean, I was a loyal and faithful young woman. I had gone to seminary every day in high school. And then I got called to um, go to the Hillcomore pageant, which those of you who are members of the church will know what that is, in Palmyra, New York, which was a reenaction of what happened as the church was restored. Well, and in the Book of Mormon. And of course, and, of, of yeah, the Book of Mormon, and, and, yeah. And, and, and uh, 
Christ coming to the Americas. Right. So at that point, I just wasn't sure. I thought the most important part of being a member of the church at that time was not to smoke or drink. We didn't even have a drug issue at that time, but um, all the good things that we know about the word of wisdom and to be chased before marriage. And so that was my, that was my mindset thinking, this is the most important thing about the church, but I happened to be in a scene of, uh, this was a play reenacted on a hillside. Speaking of plays and dramas. Speaking of plays. And uh, I was assigned to be in the play uh, when Jesus came to the Americas, which is part of the story of the Book of Mormon. The key, had, the, the core of the, the story. The core of the story. So we were sitting on a hill, hillside, and it needed to look like a vision because it was a vision of the Savior coming to these people. Well, so we had to put plastic bags underneath all of our clothes because to look like a vision, we had to have water shooting up over the top of us. The so mist. They, yeah. they had this, so it looked like a mist from the audience. So we did that every night. We put on our clothes, I mean, our bags, you know, plastic bags, and then we put these clothes over the top of us. So the first night, and we rehearsed it and so on, but the first night, the lights were down. We were sitting there. The mist started coming up over us. And then the Savior walked out from the side with this brilliant light on him. And these speakers were 40 feet tall. They could be heard 30 miles away in Rochester, New York. And he started speaking about the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he started saying yeah. the words yeah. of the Sermon on the Mount. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my goodness. The central thing in my life, in the church, is Jesus Christ. That's when it first hit you, not only mentally, but emotionally, that, that Christ was the key to everything. Oh, the key to everything. And he just kept walking along and I started crying. I, there was a much, as many tears coming down my face as there <laughs> was water your, going your over the top mist. of me. Yeah. And I just couldn't believe it. It was just one of those born again moments, I guess you could call it because I suddenly just got it. I just got it. Oh my gosh, this is the essence of life. Jesus Christ is the key to everything. Everything else is just periphery. We have to go ahead and, and yeah. make Christ the center of our lives. So I won't tell the, the rest of the story, but it was a life-changing moment that I have never forgotten. Uh, that is when I realized, and everybody has their moment, and it comes so differently to other people, but I am so grateful for that moment. Well, and we have all these smaller, that was a big, big epiphany for you, honey, but we all have these smaller epiphanies and many of them come around Christmas time when we when we just realize another layer of the importance of the Savior and, and another dimension of his love for us and another sense that if we can only focus on that, if we can only grasp that, then everything else will come together for us. It's like that little story that we often tell about a little boy who was trying to put together a very complicated jigsaw puzzle. And the father walked through the room, didn't even know where he'd got this puzzle, but he looked at it and said, Oh, you're never going to put that together, son. That is way too, it was like a picture of some engineering diagram. It was very complicated. 
And he went on, the father went on through and went into his office and came out a little later. And there was that puzzle put together. And he thought, my, my son is a genius. He's a prodigy. How did you do that, son? And the, the little boy said, well, I, I started turning the pieces over. And, and there was a picture of a man on the other side. And I just put the man together. And then I turned it back over. And it was the complicated diagram was, was assembled. And we've always thought that's a way to look at the gospel. Um, there's a lot, there's a lot of teachings. There's a lot of moral teachings. There's a lot of uh, doctrine. There's a lot of theology and you can study it endlessly and we should study it endlessly. But the way to really put it together is to know Christ and then all the rest falls into place. And, and as we come up to Christmas here in the next day or two, and, and some of you will listen to this right after Christmas, may we just focus on that, the complete key to everything. And not only, not only to, to understanding or to the gospel or to, you know, grasping who God is and so on, but the key to every little thing in our lives, the, the key to getting over anxiety that we feel, the key to overcoming depression in our lives, the key to um, somehow having the strength to go forward when things are really dark for us. It's not about you. It's not about be building your own confidence. I mean, this is the difference between faith and self-confidence, right? Self-confidence will always fall short at the hardest times, but faith in in someone greater than you. It's almost like you turn around that old cliche that, you know, positive mental attitude and I can do anything. I can do it. I, I know I can. I, 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 and you almost turn that around and say, I actually, I can't do anything without Christ, but with Christ, I can do everything. And it just becomes it makes life simpler. It makes life more complete. It, it makes you both confident and humble at the same time, which may be the best definition of faith, confident humility or humble confidence, because it doesn't come from you. It comes from Christ. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas. Uh, I hope that it's given you a moment to contemplate. And everybody does not have you know, an epiphany moment in their life, like I did it on that mountainside. It's um, gradual in many and cases. And sometimes, and usually probably it's just gradual, but I, I hope that you'll spend a minute and think about when you made the that transition and realized how that Christ is central in your life, the key, <clears throat> the key to everything. Well, you outlined that so beautifully, Linda, and we're not saying that other things aren't important. Of course, of course, it's important to pay tithing or live the word of wisdom or to, you know, strive to keep each of the Ten Commandments and or especially raise your to family keep, or yeah, survive a, a crisis and so on. They're they're all they're all important, but the key, the single key, is Christ. And if and if we tie everything back to to the Savior, then it all begins to be cohesive. It becomes part of a whole thing. And, and we love to think of Christ as the means 
you know, the, the, the end we feel is, is exaltation. The end is returning to God. The end is the celestial kingdom of heaven. Uh, that's the end, but the indispensable, the means, the only means, the, the one thing that allows it, the one thing that makes all other things possible is Christ and his atonement. And, and so again, the key, that's, that's our lesson that we're trying to learn for ourselves at this Christmas season, that Jesus is the key. You know, someone sent us, <clears throat> sorry, sent us this quote years ago, and it's been in our refrigerator ever since. I just keep it there all the time so yeah. that I can think of it every day. This is from one of our prophets, Howard W. Hunter, whom we adored. Um, and this is what it says. We must know Christ better than we know him. We must remember him more often than we remember him. We must serve him more valiantly than we serve him. And yeah. I think that is the key um, to take what he taught us and make it part of our lives, our fiber. Do we th- do we wake up saying hallelujah um, yeah. uh, because yeah. I'm so grateful for the Savior? We need to think about it more often, not yeah. just at Christmas time. Well, you like to wake up thinking, give me Jesus, that beautiful uh, Negro spiritual. spiritual yeah. Hymn. When I In the morning when I yeah. wake, in the morning when I wake, in the morning when I wake, give, give me, me Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, so, so beautiful. And maybe we can end with, what we've mentioned before and what some of you know as well are aware of, and that is that we have a, a mission statement that we'd had for many years. And, and then as we tried to make our family more and more Christ-centered, we added two words to this mission statement. And these also came from a letter that came to me from my father who passed when I was just a teenager. But the, the two words are love more. And that just tied in with what you just read, Linda. However much you love, you can love a little more because yeah. because Jesus did. And and loving more, it never it never ends. Not more love. More love makes love a noun, which is good, but love more, which makes love a verb. So so we leave you with that. That's our wish for you at Christmas is is love more. And thank you for all the love that you have shared during the season with everyone that you know, and we are so grateful that you're listening and we hope you have a wonderful Christmas and we're dashing into a new year. And and we'll see you not next week, not next month. We'll see you next year on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. Bye.